Thank you guys for being here today. I'm excited. This is one of those messages. Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, you write something, you just want to share it. It's kind of bubbling out of you. You just want to get it out. This is one of those, one of those kind of messages. I'm excited to get it out and let you guys hear what is God has done. So I'm confident Lord's spoken to me. I'm just praying that I can get out of the way that He can. We can hear from Him. So in our message last week, we talked about that we were in verses 7 through 9. We're in Joshua chapter number 2. We're going to be walking through the book of Joshua. This is called the, this is a, a life lived for God has been this series. And what we did in that series and what we saw last week was we looked at our message. It was called Deception versus Truth. In that message, we looked at the power of Rahab's lie, and we looked at the impact of that also versus God's truth. And we looked at the danger involved in lies. First of all, putting faith in lies, then allowing action to take place from a lie, and then ultimately the destructive impact of believing a lie. Now, this is certainly true in the physical world, but also in the spiritual world as well, having catastrophic results. So believing a lie in our everyday life, yeah, it's bad, it's got terrible consequences, but let me assure you, in our physical or in our spiritual life, believing a lie is catastrophic in the fact that it can be a complete and utter separation from God in a place called the lake of fire. And because of the dire results of believing a lie, that's what compels us to the lost world. That's what compels us to the religious world that is believing and trusting in religion as opposed to a relationship with Christ. It must burden us for the lost world. In 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 11, God not only gives us a warning about our enemy, but He also gives us some assurance about how it is we deal with Him. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 11, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, right? Always aware. Why must we be sober and vigilant? Because your adversary, the devil, has a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for weakness. He's looking for vulnerability in our Christian walk. Whom? Resist steadfast in the faith. He says, look, never stop fighting. Never stop resisting in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You and I are not the only ones that are being attacked. Guess what? Who's been attacked even today, perhaps? Yes. He has no mercy. He has no mercy whatsoever. And you'll find yourself, when you're down, guess what? He'll jump on you with both feet. He has no mercy whatsoever. And what's he trying to do? He's trying to separate us from God. He's trying to make us feel despair. He's trying to affect our faith. But we hold tight to the faith. And it says, you notice in the scissor, my brethren that are in the world. And when we're in the world, guess what it does? It impacts us. It impacts us. And then it says after that, verse 10, but the God of all grace, praise God, right? Even though we may be in the world, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. We're supposed to be a picture of him. After that, you have suffered a while. This is a key part. After that, you have suffered a while. So God doesn't stop us from suffering. Realize it's a part of our walk. How many of us have been shaped through experience in life where God's allowed us to go through a bit of a tornado, perhaps? We've gone through some catastrophic moments. And what happens is God shapes us through these times. We develop our faith in Him as we go through them. And we learn to trust the Lord. And as we're dealing with this, He's saying, look, after He says, have they suffered a while? Notice this, make you perfect. When you see that word perfect, that means mature in your walk with God. Establish, strengthened, settled you, given you peace. Praise God that I can go through adversity and hold on to the peace of God. Not based upon my circumstance, but based upon the word of God. This is where we stand. So what we're doing, we're going to be grounded in not only the truth of who He is, but what He's done, what He's promised, and also what He's proven. Has He not proven Himself to be faithful? 
Man, his, his faithfulness is undisputed. His love is unmatched. And then we go to verse number 11. To Him be glory and dominion. Right? Complete authority forever and ever. Amen. And what we took away from that message is not only the dire importance of not trusting a lie, but the great importance of holding on to the truth. Knowing the truth. Not because someone told us it was the truth. That's key. We know the truth because the Spirit of God reveals the truth of who God is through His Word. This is the key. We're grounded upon the rock. The rock is Christ. The rock is the Word of God. So we see this and we understand that as we looked in Joshua chapter 2, what happened to us? This morning we're going to go further into it. And what we're going to do now is we're going to actually look at Rahab. Kind of the, she's going to share a little bit of where she's coming from. So we're going to get to hear kind of her heart and her motivations for the things she's done. Why has she hid it? Why is she hidden the spies? Why has she done these things? Why has she literally not only defied her king, risked her life, and lied against the, lied to the authorities? Well, she's done it because guess what? There's something God's doing in her life. Now she's going to show us what she's going to show us. And we're going to see also through, this, through these four verses, we're going to see kind of the course that God took to bring her to a place of salvation. So as she opens her heart up to us this morning and she shows us her underlying decisions, the reason why she made her decisions, this is our message this morning. It's called Saving Faith. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for today, God. You know that, uh, Lord, I've spoken to you throughout the week, and Lord, I've prayed heavily over this message, asking you to speak to my heart. And Lord, I am confident that you've spoken to me, Lord, and I'm asking now that you would speak through me. That the words that I would share, the words that I would very choose, God, would not be the ones that I would choose, but the very Spirit uh, would show me. Lord, remove the human element. Lord, allow me just to simply get out of the way that, God, I just be nothing more than an observer, that I might have ears to hear the truth that you have for us today. Help us, Lord, to be changed. Help us to be adapted through your word that we might hear the truth and establish and move and live our lives based upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Joshua chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon, and Og, whom he utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. Verse 13, And that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brother and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So in Rahab's state, statement we hear, we get an, in, an insight into her mindset, but we also get a glimpse into the way the whole city is thinking, right? Listen to that verse in verse 10. For we have heard, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt, and what ye did under the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, when ye utterly destroyed them. So the first thing that stands out is the fact that the whole city, guess what? They also, they're in the same place. They understand what's going on. Now, we think about the battle that took place with the Amorites, with those two kings. Now, this is just over the border. This is within a pretty good, not too far. This is their neighbors. So we can understand kind of why they would have heard that story. That's just been in the last couple of months. But then it says the parting of the Red Sea. That's 40 years earlier. How did they get that message? How did that get out? Now, we know that God gave a promise to Moses in Exodus 23, how he said he was going to send his fear. And what's interesting is God uses lost and saved people he uses God's people and others to get his message out. And what we know is, you know what? Over time during the Exodus, they interacted with different people groups. They ran into folks. Some were in clashes. Others they actually bartered with and purchased goods. But the miraculous work of God would have been shared 
And these people would have told stories and told stories and told stories, and God made sure to orchestrate that would eventually end up back there. And there were others that actually were accepted into their ranks. We see them listed, and they call them strangers. Leviticus 19, verses 33 through 44 says this, And if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, ye shall not vex him. Look, don't give this guy a hard time. Verse 34, But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you. Treat him as an equal. That thou shalt love him as thyself, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What a message there is in there to you and I, believers. Right? Listen to that message in there. Hey, remember, don't give them a hard time. Don't be running them down. Don't be judging them because, remember, you were just like them. Right? A reminder to them. Hey, don't put yourself on some pedestal because you're the children of God. Say, you know what? God loves the whole world. What's so cool about this? What does it show us? God's heart has not changed. The same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament, the same one that is today. He's saying the same. I change not. His heart is exactly the same. Look at this. 1 Timothy 2.4 who will have all men to be saved, all men to be saved, and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. The picture of God's acceptance of strangers. Not only is it a precursor of what we're going to see for Rahab, but guess what? For us as well. Because guess what we were? Strangers. But God. Praise the Lord. So Rahab is a picture of the lost sinner. We see ourselves pictured in her prior to salvation. And what we see here is that when it came to Rahab, God called her. No doubt about it. He called her in the way that he, the, the stories of the miraculous deliverance of, the, of God's people. And the first thing we notice out of our message, you're going to have eight points today. The first point is this, that she heard God's call. She heard God's call. That verse 10 says this, How the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you, and ye came out of the, I came out of Egypt, and what ye did under the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. Not only did she hear, but check it out. She believed. She believed what she heard. She wasn't like, that's a ridiculous story. That sounds crazy. No. She heard it as true. Notice that she's not the only one that did. Because we see that these other people were fearful. The city's full of people that are scared. So as what we see in this recounting of the stories is that she recognizes, first of all, that the power's coming from God. Right? She sees that it's coming from God. But she sees also that it's working on behalf of the Israelite people. Look at this in verse 10. It says this, How the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. For you. Hello. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. She's going, oh my goodness, these great things have been done. And it's for these people, the ones I'm speaking to right now. But then we also see that she sees not only the power is from God, but also the power is working through God's people. Look at this, verse 10 continues. What ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. Now if you want to make a note in your Bible, if you want to go read that story of how that took place, that's going to take place. And you do, it's Numbers 21, verses 21 through 35. We would, no way we could get that in today as much as I have to preach. There's no way. So Rahab has gotten a historical knowledge from the past, but guess what she's also received? She's also heard stories, practical knowledge of people that have experienced the things of God, the power of God from the neighboring communities. So she's responding to a historical record, but at the same time in conjunction with personal testimonies. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that how God reached us? Yeah. The night that Christine and I got saved, 2001, August 11, 2001, Tony came to our house and guess what he shared? The historical record of the Word of God. These are the things, this is the great works of the Lord. 
But guess what else he, he added in there? His own personal testimony of what he had experienced. And that's the same thing the Rahab is hearing. So God was calling us, and guess what we heard? But listen, after that, what happened to her? The second point, Rahab hearkened unto it. She hearkened. She listened, right? If you don't know what hearkened is, that means to listen. It says here, And as soon as we had heard these things, verse 11, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. Okay, so not only has Rahab, Rahab believed what she's heard was true, but guess what? She's now taken it to heart. The story's become deeply personal. She's now realizing, oh my goodness, there's danger on the horizon. And she's not the only one that's fearful. It says here, the, all of it says, and it says, uh, they remain, uh, neither there remain any courage in any man. So the whole place is scared. Everybody is responding. But you see, there's a difference. Because Rahab allowed what she heard and what she hearkened to to impact her. Okay? It transfers into action. There's a big difference. Because guess what we've talked about in the past? There's a big difference between hearing something and listening to something, right? How many of us have ever spoken to somebody? And you're like, just really, you're into your conversation. You can just look in their eyes and you're just like, they are not even here, man. They're just <laughs> they're, they're looking right through me, dude. They're like, you know, rearranging the furniture in their house. I don't know what they're doing, but they ain't listening to me. Maybe we've been that person. Somebody's just pouring it out and you're just like, uh-huh. And you know, man, if they ask you a question, you'd be like, man, I hope they don't ask me questions because I don't know what's going on, right? Or maybe one of these scenarios where, you, like if we parents as kids, we have, we have children, right? Who's ever had this before? I'm going to give you a scenario. Okay, what did I tell you about climbing the fence? Um, not to climb the fence because it's breaking it. Okay, so why did I just catch you climbing the fence? That was yesterday. Um, I don't know. Does that sound familiar to anyone who is a parent? Yes, right? Because they heard, but they didn't listen, right? It just didn't sink in. And that's exactly what's going on here. They're hearing it, but they're not allowing it to affect them. Because what happens when you hear something and then you listen to it, what does it do? It affects your behavior, right? We see that it's going to affect her behavior, but no one else. They're not going to respond. Jesus, when he talks and says, he speaks it like this uh, in Matthew eleven fifteen. You heard it eight different times in Scripture. He says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Don't just nod your head. Listen to what I am telling you. And what we find is the fact that so many times people are not listening. The fear of God was in the nation. We know this to be true. Everyone was experiencing the fear. They had an emotional response. Yes. Did they respond? Did they listen? They heard something. Problem is, it didn't translate into action. James 2 verses 19 and 20 talks about this kind of hearing. Okay, Thou believest that there is one God. Thou believest well. The devils also believe. Listen. And tremble. Okay? So the devils, the demons, they believe in God. Oh yeah, all day long. They've had personal interactions with Him. They're fearful of Him. And not only are they fearful of Him, but they have an emotional response. There are people that sit in services and, man, somebody preaches on the Word, man, and they go, yes, 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 and they get teary-eyed and broken-hearted, and you know what, I'm going down front and I'm getting saved. All in their emotions. But they never submitted their heart to God. That's what it is. It's submission to God. A realization of who we are and our need of a Savior. It's not just an emotional decision. It says, verse 20, But wilt thou, now, wilt thou know, O vain man? When you see that word vain man, it means a not profitable, of no use. That faith without works is dead. 
What it's saying is, you know what? If you truly are saved, we're going to see it in your life, brother. There's going to be a change in you. The Bible says you're going to be a new creature. We know Rahab's listening because listen to her heart. Verse 11 continues, For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Rahab heard and Rahab hearkened. And thirdly, Rahab humbled, humbled herself. She humbled herself. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. And this ties into what we've been talking about on Wednesday nights. You guys know I got off almost a year ago. We are in our Philippians 2 study. And man, we got to Philippians 2, man. I got to Philippians 2 and God just said, you know what? Stop. Change direction. Tell them what it means to be a follower of Christ. A real follower. Not just simply to be in church and not just simply to read the Bible and not just to pray, but man, be broken for the heart of God. He says, you know what? You know, what are you supposed to do? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Change who you are. Follow me. Become a Christian. And see, that's what it's saying here. Rahab is a change of heart. She's humble before God, and her view of God shows her who she is. She sees her sin. And what does it do, man? It humbles you because you go, oh, my. What did Isaiah say? He said, woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. He's broken because he finally sees God for how he needs to. And see, that's what's happening to Rahab here. She sees God. Not a distorted religious view of God. Not of one of ignorance, but one of the Bible. The Creator God. Holy, righteous, sovereign. Filled with love, mercy, truth. And yet still, a God of judgment upon all unrighteousness. And this is a truth. And it's a humbling truth. That every person who has ever lived will one day stand before the Lord in abject humility. As they will see Him for who He truly is. And in that moment, they will see themselves for who they truly are. Yeah. There'll be no one that's sitting in the great white throne judgment saying, This isn't fair! This isn't fair! No, because you know what God's going to do? He's going to lay out the evidence before them and go, You know what? Here. This is what I did. I paved the way. I took every obstacle out of the way. All I needed you is by faith. Come. But you chose this and this and this. And let me lay out the case of your choices. And that's the reality. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says this, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There'll be no atheists <laughs> at the great white throne. No, 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 no. There'll be no arrogance at the great white throne. The Bible says the mighty men will cry before the Lord. They will crumble up in a ball and say, but I just didn't realize... And at that point, it's too late. So God is a God of judgment because it's right. Because as God loves, loves, uh, loves righteousness, He hates sin. They're two sides of the same coin. If you love one, you've got to hate the other. So we see this glory that's referenced. Look at this, and it says, And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that glory is the whole reason right, that we were created. We're not created for ourselves. We are created for His glory. And see, it's the incredible recognition of that fact that should humble us. It humbles us to realize the fact that we need to make a decision. There are lost people out there that know a lot about the Bible, that have heard and that have hearkened, but refuse to be humbled. Now, we see that God is doing a work. 
Now, and the, and the point is this. You know, will we follow our will or God's? That's what it all comes down to. Do we want what we want or do we want what God wants for us? Now, remember last week we pointed to the fact that Rahab, she's done all that she's done up to this point, having given no assurance. They haven't made a single promise to her. Everything that she's done up to this point has been completely based upon just trust. She has made an act of faith, choosing God over herself and her own safety. She heard, she hearkened, she was humbled. And now, you see, all of these things are internal. Right? We can hear, we can hearken, and we can be humbled. That stuff's internal. And the question is, will it remain internal, or will we allow it to turn into action? Will it change who we are? Which leads us to Rahab's prayer. Rahab's prayer, verse 12, says this, Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord. Rahab is appealing to the spies in the name of their God. Listen to this. In their God. L-O-R-D, Lord, Jehovah God, man. You know what that means? It means, translated, it means I am. It says I am the one who is, but the shortening version of that is I am. Right? What did God use as his name at the burning bush? Remember we studied with Moses? What did he say? Exodus 33, verses 13 and 14. And Moses said unto God, Remember, this is a, Moses is freaking out, man. He's, he's just trying to handle this whole situation. And he says, Moses says unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, Well, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? Oh, what do I do? God says, verse 14, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. How cool is that, man? I am. And he's always been. That's the coolest thing, man. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Yes. Woo, that gets me fired up, man. Anyway, uh, I'm back. <clears throat> We're here. But what happens? Now, it's cool. It's not coincidental that when Jesus is confronted in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Judas and the soldiers, they're going to come, and man, they're all bad to the bone. They're like, yeah, let's go get him. Judas, you ready? Yeah, let's get him. Boom. We're looking for Jesus, right? That's this the attitude. Here we go. John 18, verses 4 and 6. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. I am he. And Judas also, which also betrayed him, stood with them. And see, there's a little side note. This next verse tells us what happened when he says this. When he said, I am he. Look at this verse 6. As soon as, as soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Can you imagine that? All these big bad soldiers just, everybody just laying on the ground all of a sudden. Boom. And as a side note, you'll notice every time God comes against evil, they fall back. You watch services on TV and somebody's going, you're healed, brother. Which way do they fall? Back. When you see someone come to God in reverence, how do they fall? Forward. At the feet of God. Just a side note. So take note. Notice this. The one in whom Rahab is making her humble request to, her prayer by faith. Remember, we learned back in James 2.20. A few minutes ago, what did it say? It said, James 2.20, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Right? James, 1 is, or James 2 is going to continue. We're going to go all the way from 21 to 25. And that says here, Was not Abraham 
our father justified by faith when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how, how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. Remember, perfect means mature. He's developed in his faith. Remember, Moses was a work in progress, or Abraham was a work in progress. If you go with Abraham and you walk on the, on the you're like, dude, this guy's got some problems, right? He, they go into Egypt and he gets confronted by the Egyptians. And what does he do? Uh, Sarah, you just tell me you're my sister. Because, <clears throat> you know, that's twice that happens. I mean, the guy's uh, driven by fear. Not walking by faith, not trusting that God had his back, he becomes fearful. But that same man will be shaped to where he can do the unthinkable, which is killing the son he's waited for for a hundred years, empowering him to do the impossible. Verse 23 says this, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, not by faith only. What he's saying is, you know what? Your faith reveals who you are. Your works show your faith. And how do you and I display our faith? How do we do it? We'll go to 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Right? We walk by faith and not by sight. Our faith is not substantiated by our surroundings or what we see. It's not determined by our consequences. It is determined based upon the word of God and the truth of it. And when we live our lives based upon the Word of God, trusting the promises and the precepts that He has set, what does it do? It displays to the world that you are walking by faith. It's hard to do. It's hard to hear you have cancer and walk by faith. It's hard to hear your, your wife tell you she no longer loves you and walk out the door and walk by faith. It's hard for your child to be involved in drugs and destroyed and walk by faith. It's hard. But see, it's supernatural. We don't do it. God does it through us. He tells us that He is made strong in our weakness. It's okay to be broken by your circumstance. It's okay to be overwhelmed in the moment. It's okay to cry out to God in despair. Because He says He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. He says, hello? Right when all the shadow comes over and you can't see anything and all you see is darkness, guess what? Uh, I'm right here. Right here. How wonderful is that? And that's a promise from God who does not change, who never breaks His promise. Continuing that verse 25 in James. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. And guess what? Then we see in verse number 12, what's going to happen is she's going to remind these men of the facts of what it is that she has done. She says in verse 12, Since I have showed you kindness, have I not proven myself? Hello? Have you not seen my faith in action, gentlemen? Let's consider what she's done, okay? Look at this. She met them, received them, and it did this at great personal risk. She then takes them at their word without any proof. She defies her king and not reporting them. Then what does she do? She brought them into her home. Not only putting her own life at risk, but everyone that she cares about. She's taking huge risks. Then she lied to the authorities when they confronted her at the door. And she gave false testimony to the king's men as they went off on their wild goose chase. Rahab risks everything she owns, her own life and her family's life. And she uses this as the evidence. She says, hey, as she makes her petition. Number six, her petition. Verse 12 continues. 
that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. Give me a true token. I have proven myself to you. Remember, she's run back up on the roof. They've been hiding. She's telling them all this. She's in excitement. She's referring and saying, oh, have I not done this? I'm trusting my fate and my family to you, gentlemen. Remember, the rehab is a picture of the lost person responding to God. Listen to this in John 6, 44-45. How does God call humanity today? How does He always call them? No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at that last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath, heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Like Rahab. Guess what? As people respond to God's call, they're trusting you and I as messengers. They're trusting us with their life. We're being trusted to be a witness, to share the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what God's called us to do. But guess what He's also doing? He's also entrusting us with a life, a person's life that He's gone to unbelievable lengths to reach this person. And here we are, a child of the King, a messenger for Christ, and when this person crosses our path, guess what? They're desperate. Rahab was desperate. Listen to what she's done. She's totally ruined her life in Jericho. She's done it completely. She's done as much as she possibly can. And she's saying, I need you to be real. She's desperate. And guess what? The world is more desperate now than it has ever been. Because you know what happens? This world is, is looking for truth. The problem is, the more that the, the reality of, of, of what the world is promising is shown to be just nothing but smoke and mirrors, people are blown away. Not to mention, listen to this, James 4.14. Whereas you know not that what, what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. So not only is that the case for the lost world, but guess what? It's true for us. Amen. What if the chance that we, the, last, the, very, the next opportunity that we have to stand for the Lord, what if that's our last one? What if someone cross our path today and we don't step up? And we allow fear to guide us. And we go home this same day. God said, I had one last, one last job for you. And you just, you just wouldn't do it. God gives us chances every day. Lost and saved people leave this world every single day. Do you know right now the average in the, United, in the world, the average deaths per day, 158,904 people leave this planet every single day. 158,904. You know how many of them are lost? The majority of them. But God loves them. How in our, and then, so, so that's the point. What I'm trying to make the point is this. Is if God does let them cross our path, what must, what must we be? We must be ready. We need to be holy. We need to be sanctified. We need to be set apart for the Master's use because we don't know when our last day is. We don't know when their last day is. As Jesus, as God is dealing with the Israelites, listen to what He says through Micah, in verses, uh, Micah 6, 8. He says, He has showed the old man what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, listen, but to do justly and to, do, and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. In Deuteronomy 13, 4, as God deals with the Israelites, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice and you shall serve Him and cleave unto Him. As Paul tries to encourage Timothy, as Timothy's facing the same awful world that we are today, listen to this, 1 Timothy 4:12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer. He says, look, Timothy, you're for the time you're here, be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation. Conversation means your life. 
charity, and in spirit, and in faith. And listen to the last one. In purity. Be holy, Timothy. Be holy. People are so obsessed with happy. They've lost sight of holy. But see, the byproduct of true holiness is unbelievable happiness and joy on top of that, which is amazing. So if you're seeking happiness, man, let it go. Seek holiness. It pays off so much better. And you'll never regret it when you stand before the Lord. Right. Seeking happiness, you will most definitely regret it. And the reason why we do these things, the reason why this is who we're compelled to be, is because guess what? God wants to use us to reach the lost world. He's trying to bring them to Him. Acts 1.8 says this, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. And see, what we see in Rahab is the universal need that the world has for God. She's a picture. People are more desperate than they've ever been, as I said. The world is more desperate than it's ever been. We can look into people's eyes. Look at conversations online. Listen to videos that people post and see the heart of brokenness, despair, and sadness that is so prevalent. Which leads us to Rahab's plea. Number seven, Rahab's plea, Joshua 2.13. And that you will all that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren, my sisters and all they have. I want you to notice the heart of this woman. This is really cool. Because realize the fact that someone like this would have been written off by society based upon her sinful past. She would have been judged very, very, very harshly. But I want you to notice this woman who now has been has been humbled by her proper view of God. What has it done to her? Listen. Think about the list that she just gave. Where did she place herself in the list? She's not even in the list. Listen. And that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all they have. How amazing is that? You see, humble people, you know what they do? They prioritize others over themselves. Guess what prideful people do? They're always number one. It's all about them. This is a picture of humility. Listen, we don't know Rahab before this. Maybe that's kind of the person that she is, but we sure know that right now, based on what's experienced, her experience with God, that's who she is today. Which brings us to our closing point. Rahab's plight. Rahab's plight. Verse 13 ends like this. And deliver our lives from death. You see, Rahab's proper view of God has revealed the danger that lies ahead. She sees what's on the horizon. She knows that death, the same way it came upon her Amorite neighbors, guess what? She knows the same thing is coming for her. She is a picture. Her plight is a picture of the ultimate accountability of mankind to God. As we saw in Philippians 2, right? We saw that every knee shall bow. But there's another warning that's much more severe, and it's directed exactly at those who have rejected Christ. Listen to this in Revelations 20, verses 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and, the, the earth and heaven fled away, and there was, no, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, every person who's ever lived. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Remember I told you God's going to lay out the evidence? There's the evidence. 
I believe maybe maybe God's going to put a, a video up there. He's going to pop like a, a TV and going to go, hey, look, there's your life. Remember this situation? Remember this choice? Remember that sin? Look what you're doing right there. Do you see that? And you know I was calling you the whole time? Remember when I sent that guy to your house and you told him to get the heck out? Remember that guy that handed you a track and you threw it in the trash? Remember I compelled your heart? Remember in this moment right here when you were in that restaurant you were sitting by yourself and I called your heart and you responded, you heard me, you hearkened, but you said, you know what? I will not. You remember that? You remember that? And he's going to lay out the case. And they're only going, this isn't fair. They'll say, you know what? I deserve it. And there will be no one without faith then. But unfortunately, judgment will be at that point. And God loves them. Understand, it's not his desire for them. Verse 13 says this, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the dead, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, a physical death and a spiritual death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Certainly there is a physical death coming. There's no doubt about it. But boy, there is a spiritual death coming as well. And it's based upon our sin. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. What do you earn? When you have a job, you work a wage. They pay you what you earn. And he's saying, look, what have you earned because of your sin? You have earned death. It's your payment. But the gift of God, which is, <laughs> which is eternal life, right? Through Christ, through Christ our Lord, the gift of God offered to the world from the cross. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gift. And what's amazing is there's a gift for every single solitary person that's ever lived with their name written on the card, wrapped up beautifully under the tree, waiting on them. But it's not having the gift, it's receiving the gift. Because you can know all about the gift. You can tell me what's in the box. You can tell me everything about it. You can have complete knowledge and understanding of it. But until you receive that gift, it is not yours. And see, that's the humility. That's the difference. So we see here, this is the awful truth. And as we discussed several times, Joshua, guess what? He is a picture of Christ. He's a picture of Jesus. In Acts chapter number 7, verse 45, there's a really cool thing that happens where God gives us an awesome little picture of this truth that Joshua is Jesus. As, the, as this word, and as this story that we're getting ready to read, it's going to be just two verses. What we're doing is we're going back into the Exodus. You're going to hear talking about the tabernacle. You're going to hear Moses. This is talking about the Exodus. Then it's going to talk about going into the promised land, into the land of the Gentiles. Acts 7, 44 through 45. Our fathers had the tabernacle of the witness in the wilderness. Okay? Our fathers, this is talking about their ancestors. As he had appointed, unto, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. Now, in our two years in Exodus, we saw that, right? We saw that exact thing. He's talking about Moses coming out of the wilderness and then heading into the promised land, which also our fathers that came after, okay, the second generation, right? This is the next generation, brought in. They brought that testimony. They brought that tabernacle with them. Where did they go? They, this says they brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles. They came into Canaan. That, see, it, it, just, it replaces Jesus, Joshua for Jesus. Amen whom God drave out before the face of our fathers under the days of David. And the same way that Rahab heard God's call, right? The same way that she hearkened unto it. The way, same way that she allowed it to humble her before the Lord and give her a proper view of God. There was a day and a time when God called out to us. And we heard 
the call. And we hearkened unto the call. And because of what we heard and what we hearkened, guess what we did? We humbled ourselves. We humbled ourselves. And what did we do? We called out to our Savior. And as a result of our new perspective, we saw our sin for who we were. And guess what we did? We prayed earnestly. We displayed the proof of our broken hearts before the Lord, making petitions to the Lord and begging for mercy because we knew our plight. We knew what was coming. God had told us, and we could see it. And on that glorious day, on that glorious day, God responded. Our Joshua, the Lord Jesus, responded. He heard our cry. He hearkened unto it. And guess what? Not only did we humble ourselves, but guess what? He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? He heard our prayer. He saw our broken hearts and the proof of who we were. He answered our petition because you know what? He knew our plight. He knew it crystal clear. He could see it coming. It's why he was born in a lowly manger. It's why he lived a life of service and of sacrifice. And it's why he gave his life a ransom for the souls of men that were undeserving and rebellious. Rahab cried out for mercy. And as we'll soon see, she will receive it. Why? Well, Ephesians 2 will tell us. 2, 4, and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. And why is He merciful? What's the, what's the driving force of that mercy? For His great love wherewith He loved us. That's prior to salvation. He loves us even when we're sinners, guys. Listen. Even, verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, even when we were spiritually dead in a rebellion against God, in the midst of fornication or whatever sin we could be committing, God says, you know what? I love them. Imagine that. Imagine that. Incredible. And it says, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Praise the Lord. See, all that was required of Rahab is all that's required of us. Saving faith. A willingness to trust in Him. And let me tell you, if you have received that beautiful gift of salvation, man, be humbled by it. Be thankful for it. Allow it to motivate you to be a messenger unto those who have yet to hear the call. Because they're going to cross your path today, tomorrow. And however many days God gives you on earth, you're going to cross paths with people that need to know the truth. And maybe you've been here. Maybe you've sat in services. Maybe you've watched us online. And guess what? You've heard. And maybe you've hearkened. There's people that I know have sat in the services of this place that I have talked to personally, that I've seen tears in their eyes. God dealt with them. But they would not humble themselves. Their pride will be their destruction. Because we can be like Rahab and we can humble ourselves and be gloriously saved or we can pridefully stand our ground and face the destruction that's on the horizon because guess what? It is coming. Rahab is saved because she responded. 
And that's what I'm begging you today to do. Respond. If it's to be a messenger, then stand up and be a messenger. Be ready with tracts. Be ready with your testimony. Share the truth of God's Word. Be holy. Walk with God. Honor Him with your life. And if you're lost, why wait? Why wait? I can promise you, destruction is coming. You will hear that army. You can look at the world right now and you can hear the, trumble, the trembling of that army heading this way, man. Destruction is coming. And you can privately stand there and think you're going you're gonna to be the one, the only one that misses it. But I can promise you, the same way when those Egyptians enter between the, the two walls of water, the Bible says that not one survived. No one's going to miss this. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I beg you, respond. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, God, for dealing with my heart and no one else. Thank you for speaking to us through your incredible word. Lord, I do pray right now that if we're saved and we're complacent, we're sitting on the sidelines, God, I pray that you compel us. Compel us to get into the game, to be serious about the things of God. Help us focus on holiness, deal with sin in our lives. Bring ourselves before you humbly, that we might be servants that would serve you with our whole hearts. And if you're here today and let's say you're not saved, you say, look, if I die today, I don't know where I'm going. I understand exactly what that feels like because back in August 11, 2001, they asked me, if you died today, if this is your last day on earth, you're 100% sure you're going to go to heaven. And I said, I hope so. And listen, if you're hoping, you're in the same dire situation I was. And you need to recognize the fact that you will face the God of this universe. And you need to be right with Him. Jesus has paved the way. He's done all the work. All He's asking for us to do is submit, to surrender, to respond the way that Rahab did. And as He calls out to you, all He needs you to do is to hear, to hearken, to humble, and to pray. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I don't know where I stand. I'm just like you were back in August. 11, 2001. I don't know where I'm going. But I know, I know, and I believe that God is real. And I've heard, and I've hearkened, and I'm ready to be humbled before you. If you're online and you're watching this, you're watching this recorded, I don't care. This does not require a preacher or a pastor or anything. This is not a magical, like a, cer a ceremony that has any kind of value or weight. There's not a magic prayer. This is a humbled heart broken before the Lord. And if that's where you stand, all you have to do is call out to Him. As He reaches out to you, all you have to do is respond. Understand that you are a sinner, that the price of that sin is a separation from God, and that He loves you. He died on the cross to save you. And in this moment, all you have to do is by faith trust Him and ask Him to save you, and He will do just that. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, again, it's not the words, it's not the prayer, it's your heart that God is listening to. Pray this prayer in your heart and mind. I'm going to pray out loud. I'm going to ask you to pray. Pray in your heart and mind or out loud. I don't care. It's not the prayer. Remember, it's your heart. Repeat after me if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, God, I'm so thankful that you love me. I don't understand why. Because I know I'm a sinner. I know that I've done plenty wrong. And God, I'm asking you right now, by faith, to come into my life, to come into my heart, to save my soul. Lord, I repent of my sin. I turn my back on it. 
And I'm asking you to help me to live a life that will bring glory to your name. God, thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.